Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring issues related to leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's Value Program, offering group discounts to nursing teams of 10 or more on AACN membership, certification, or conference attendance, with information available at aacn.org forward slash value. Now here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden. This is Connie Barden, and I'm so excited today to get to talk with Dr. Jennifer Brown. Dr. Brown is an associate professor in the School of Nursing at the University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio, Texas. And Jennifer, thanks a million for finding time to join us today. I can't wait to talk to you about your work. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. You know what I would say to get us started, we're going to talk about your work, your research, and some of the exciting things you've been doing. But before we do that, so folks can get to know you, why don't you tell us just sort of the cliff note summary of your journey as a nurse and how you got to be in your role today? I've been in nursing since 1988. But um, I started in New York and pretty rapidly moved into critical care areas, a burn unit, et cetera, et cetera. But I just found I love the intensive care unit. So I traveled, got my CCRN and stayed in that arena uh, until the mid to late nineties when, um, mid nineties when informatics had taken over. And I was a pretty prolific writer and I was interested in research. So I took over a role as an informatician uh, during the years when we everybody was rolling out computers. So I did that for eight to 10 years and eventually migrated back to the bedside once I decided to go on and get my master's and doctorate. Back at the bedside again, I got my CCRN again and I felt I, I just felt such passion for the bedside nurse. And one of the reasons I went after a PhD was I, it wasn't so much the degree I wanted. It was more, I, I saw this, I had this frustration with nursing workflow and all the broken shoelaces and obstacles that nurses had to deal with in order to deliver the care they were trying to deliver. And I remember the day it happened clearly. There was a backup in the emergency department and they'd been trying to move a patient up for, it seemed like hours. And it was so, everything we tried to do, we couldn't get the patient moved out of the unit. And I remember an administrator walking up furious asking, why hasn't this patient moved yet? Why isn't this bed available? And none of the nurses could quite explain, they couldn't verbalize why. And I remember the look on one face and it was, you know, the printer had broken so we couldn't print out the transfer sheet and the telemetry nurse wouldn't take report. I mean, it could go on ad nauseum, but I remember the look on that one nurse's face and I, I, this is what I became so passionate about. And that in order to improve patient care, I realized we need to in, in, improve the way nurses workflow. 
goes. And I realized I needed an advanced degree to lend that cre credibility because nurses are always, you know, letting you know what isn't working right. But I always felt like we were being poo-pooed by administration. And I wanted to be able to go out and quantify what those issues were and what we could make better. And that's what motivated me to go back to school, do this kind of research. And fortunately for me, I was able to keep working at the bedside on weekends while I was in school. So I kind of had the best of both worlds. Uh, and I really didn't leave the bedside just since a couple of years ago. And But even still, I teach complex care slash critical care to undergrads now. So I'm still, I still feel like I have my finger in the pot a little bit. Um, and so that's kind of what's brought me to this point. And now just recently, um, I've been appointed to as an, I've gained a position as the Lillian Dunlap Endowed Chair for Nursing Research at the University of Incarnate Word. And the position is designed for me to support other nurses doing their research, teaching people how to do abstracts, write articles, go to conferences. So I'm just so jazzed about it because I just think it's so important for nurses to get a voice, more of a voice in what's going on. Wow. Well, first of all, before we go any further, let me start by saying congratulations. That is a huge acknowledgement of your expertise and endowed chair in nursing research. Congratulations. Thank you. Brand new breaking news right here right, on, our, on our podcast. Thank you for that. And the other thing I want to say is that is like one of the most exciting presentations of why the heck to go and get your PhD to study the stuff that's getting in the way of doing nursing work. So I can't wait to uh, talk to you more about that. And um, what I understand is that initially in some of your research work, you started out with, you know, health IT, informatician, by the way, I've never heard that word before, health mm -hmm. IT and looking at workarounds and that kind of thing. And that led you to this whole interest in workload and how we measure it. So just for starters, those of us who are not too schooled in this, currently, how do we go about measuring nursing workload? You know, what almost popped out of my mouth was, I don't know. So there's so many different ways to measure nursing workload. And sometimes even in the same hospital, you'll see workload measures varying by units. So it can be it can be acuity. It can be um, the number of patients, like a one to one or or a one to two. Nurses listening will understand what I'm saying. One to one, one to two. It can be by task. So whether the patient's on an impella, that will determine the workload. If they're on dialysis, that will determine the workload. The unit type. Um, the cardiovascular area might automatically have a work, you know, get assigned a certain workload and a nurse to patient ratio, but then another unit might be assigned different workload numbers. So there's just so many different ways to measure workload. 
you can say they're acute. They're, I mean, they're they're critical. They're stable. Um, that's a whole nother way to look at it. And what I found particularly frustrating was when I was trying to put my study together originally, I went to look for measures of workload. And it's not that we don't have measures, it's that we don't actually define what workload is. And one research, a literature review looked at 30 articles and 26 of those 30 articles on workload, they were research articles on workload, never defined what workload was. Often the way workload is defined is by the tasks associated with it, not necessarily definition of what is workload, but the tasks that we put associated with it. So it, it becomes problematic when we want to compare studies or even like hospitals. If you're measuring acuity, I mean, there's computer systems, there's software that, that calculates workload for you. I've installed some of those. There's many different ways to look at workload and it's apples and oranges. We, we're all kind of using different measures. We don't define exactly what it is. Does it include mental? Does it include the families? Does it include, you know, what what is workload? And, and that's why I said, I, I, I don't know. And, and that's no. nursing's problem because nursing hasn't owned it. You know, and I think that's, something that we need to consider is, is we need to own it. What is workload? Well, because this issue of workload, which is absolutely ill-defined, as you've told us, is critical to our understanding staffing and, and trying to get staffing right. Now, one of the things I'm so excited about, I read your one of your many articles, the one from American Journal of Critical Care in May of 2020, where you identified this concept of turbulence, which I know is really going to resonate with our audience who's listening today. Um, my, my three words that I wrote about it from your, your article, which I loved, by the way, and one of the things I'll tell you, I loved, <laughs> you said the work of nurses has been described like playing multiple games of chess all at one time. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's actually that's, another author, I, but, but oh, that's right. Yeah. That's, right. that's exactly yeah, that resonates, I'm sure, with everybody listening. And um, when I, wrote, I, was, I was wrapping my head around this turbulence thing, and I, I sort of hung on every word because you said, these are the unanticipated work complexities that show up in nursing care all the time. So, so yeah, this is very exciting. So for starters, Jennifer, why don't you tell us uh, about this concept of turbulence that you've identified? Uh, I think it's really going to resonate with folks who are listening. Okay, well, great. Um, you know, as a novice researcher, I was getting ready to put my study together and I went in to observe, you know, when you're doing a dissertation, especially it, it was, a, you have to develop a model about what you think is happening and you sketch the whole thing out. And so I thought workload was impacting nurses doing workarounds. I thought, oh, well, the workload will go up, so I'll do a workaround to make it easier. So I went into the units to kind of observe what was going on. And I had my little note paper and my a whole list of workload characteristics. And <laughs> the nurses were doing things like trying to find a charged battery for the computer 
They were running around trying to find a feeding pump. Does anybody have a feeding pump? I need a feeding pump. I don't have a feeding pump. Does anybody have a clean IV pump? Oh my gosh, I'm almost out of this drip. Let me call pharmacy. And just and interruptions, constant interruptions from, from people. And I thought this isn't in any of the workload measures. Look at all these activities nurses are doing that, that don't score in the workload categories. So I went back to the chair of my dissertation committee. I said, I don't know what to do. My model is just hit the skids. And she said, no, 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 no. That's great. That's a new variable. And that's very important. So I went to the literature and I, the only person who had really been writing about it was a, a lady named Bonnie Jennings. And, and she had um, some articles on nursing turbulence. So I, I went to the source there and I identified with a lot of what she was talking about and um, incorporated that turbulence variable into my work. The long and the short of it is, is that much of her, her subsets were also workaround characteristics like transfers, discharges, admissions. I consider that very characteristic of workload. That's the work the nurse is expected to do. Right. So, so a lot of what I did in my research was refine, quantify, and, and essentially prove, yeah, these things are out there. This is turbulence. And, and I think it's very separate from workload. Two different things. Um, and so that's how the whole turbulence came up, is I thought, oh, I failed my first dissertation class. My model didn't work. When in, the, in fact, I had tripped over a really important variable, some a really important concept that was totally separate from workload. Absolutely. And I guarantee you, everything you said resonates with me. And I'm sure everybody listening, where do I get an IV pump? Oh, I got to run down to central supply and get, you know, who knows what, because I don't have it for this patient on and on and on. What have you noticed about how this turbulence impacts the workforce? What did you see when you suddenly began to realize, oh my gosh, there's this thing in the air here that, that I'm going to call turbulence here. What do you see as an impact on the nursing workforce? Well, if we fast forward eight years later, I, you know, I have to give credit where credit is due. Linda Bell and the Association of Critical Care Nurses was so generous in helping me get my survey out. I had written for some grants, but it, that didn't really work out at the time. And But AACM was wonderful about helping me get this research done. Fast forward then, when I started actually analyzing the data that I got back, what was remarkable was as workload increased, we really didn't see issues with patient safety. 
as problems with the technology increased, we really didn't see problems with patient safety. But as you can well imagine, as turbulent it, turbulence increased, the risk of patient safety events, there was a higher, stronger correlation with patient safety events and turbulence. And so I thought, wow, we're really onto something here. And, and it makes sense to me because as an ICU nurse, I liked that charge. I liked that adrenaline. In fact, the sicker the patient, the more on it I was. Right. The, the more I paid attention, the more. Um, but it, it, it was like it was like I said before, the broken shoelaces and the distractions. Every time I was interrupted, I would lose that train of thought. That's where the patient safety events were, were most closely associated. This is amazing, and I'm going to repeat it, and you can be sure, if, see it, tell me if I got it right, because this is a super important point. I think what you said is you looked at workload, didn't correlate with patient safety events, workload. You looked at technology stuff, didn't correlate with an increase in patient safety events, but this turbulence thing, these interruptions and running around the frenzy that we're all so familiar with, that was the strongest correlation to right. increases in patient safety events. Exactly. That yes. is astounding. This is such important research. Um, and, and I don't think we know enough about it. This, we we got to get the word out on this, which is why you and I are talking no, today. We do. And so uh, there's a few other things about the research that's important, but I did do, I did take time and do it right. And I did mediator and moderator testing. And um, what was interesting was, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people think nurses do workarounds. But what was interesting about the research is nurses were doing workarounds to try to deal with the turbulence. As turbulence increased, the nurses were one and a half times more likely to perform a workaround. And I know managers are all worried about workarounds and patient safety and this and that. but as far as I'm concerned, workarounds are not nurses' bad behavior or nurses' yep. breaking. It's nurses attempting to deal with the environment. And it was interesting to find that pattern that actually workarounds were a way of coping with turbulence. Fascinating. I, I was always taught when I did some safety work that workarounds are a symptom of a broken system, which is also kind of kind of what you're saying. We wouldn't have to do them if if the system worked right, yeah. Right. So what we're saying is this exists every day in nursing environments. So I wanna ask you, first of all, if there's some people who are nurse leaders listening to this and they might wanna mitigate some of this impact of the turbulence for their staff, do you have any sage advice for people who are in leadership positions about what they can learn from this work and what they might do going forward? Well, again, this was just the first study of many. But the four top turbulence items, the four top ones that rose to the surface were distractions, interruptions, lost communication, like handoffs, missing, missing information, um, and communication problems. So 
What's interesting about this kind of work is that every unit's different, every environment's different. So what I did find was I was able in, in all these um, survey responses to tabulate a turbulence score because I asked nurses to narratively describe in detail what was going on when they performed this workaround. And so I could tabulate all these turbulence items that I saw. And I also asked the nurses to quantify, was this there, was this there, was this there? So for scores, of, turbulence scores of 10 or greater, um, that was the highest risk to patient safety possible. For six to 10, a turbulence score six to 10, it was a moderate risk. And actually four or less um, was fine, not really a, a thing. Any scores greater than six in all cases, there were disrupt, distractions, interruptions, um, not necessary loss of handoff information, but there were some, the tallest trees, there were some obvious turbulence items that could be addressed. And that's what I would look at is, I'm thinking turbulence, high turbulence scores are associated with patient safety events. If I can bring my turbulence score down from like 15 to eight, I just cut my risk in half. So let's try to reduce interruptions. And that's what's so great about the difference between turbulence and workload. Workload, I can't really change. I mean, the sick patient on certain drips is it's gonna stay the same, but I can change turbulence factors. So I would look at how many times is the nurse interrupted? How many times um, is the nurse running around looking for equipment? Maybe we'll get a special equipment room just for them. Um, what are the things that are impacting this unit and my nurses? And that's what's so interesting about this is every unit really is different. What's happening in NICU very different from maybe what's happening on PCU or CVICU. So what are the specific turbulence items? I mean, lack of a secretary was a big, in some areas, caused a really big problem because the nurses were having to leave the rooms to go answer the phone. And then if they had the portable phones on their ear, What's that? That's an interruption. You're trying yeah. to deliver patient care and the phone on your ear goes off. So so that as a nurse manager, that's what I'd look at. Yeah. And what if what if you're a direct care nurse? So you're you're the person there touching the patient. And now we're all learning about this kind of thing. Are there other things that direct care nurses might begin to do as we think about this as a huge impact? Absolutely, because you know, so many more and more. There's unit-based practice councils and, and QI projects. You can get a bulletin board. Let's just get a clean utility room that always has equipment in there and ready to go. Or let's look at how we are doing our handoff communication. Are we really missing things in report? And if so, let's look at handoffs. I mean, this stuff is all... A lot of this is out there in the literature. It's just, unfortunately, it's in a lot of different places. I can back up a lot of my research with individual studies, but that's just because I know the literature. We know lost information and handoff is a problem. 
So if it's a problem on my unit, let me get with the practice council and see how can we make this better? How can we make report go, go better? If I'm always running around looking for feeding tubes or, or kangaroo pumps, let's put it, maybe get with the manager, talk about the budget next year and, and try to address that, get the equipment that we need. Um, and that's what I love about turbulence work is that we really can make an impact at so many different levels. It is absolutely fascinating. Um, I, I could really talk to you about this for hours. Let me circle on a, I think a related topic, um, but certainly having to do with healthcare informatics and stuff that doesn't go exactly right, whatever. And that's the topic of EHR, the electronic health record. And we've heard people talk about that the EHR causes a number of workarounds um, and, and nurses are trying to deal with that and do the best they can. Do you have, as a nurse informatician, <laughs> my new word, um, any thoughts about the EHR and how we just learn to live with that? I know some good things are gonna come out of COVID. And one thing that's coming out is people are listening more closely to what nurses have to say. I just, I want to be careful here because it, it's just, we need the EHR. It's not going to go away. But unfortunately, you know, a lot of the companies were so determined to get the next module up. First, they got order entry up. Then they got nursing documentation up. Then they got this up. Then, and they kept going on. And rather than polishing the product they just put in, they move on to the next the next piece of it. Um, the whole while saying, oh yeah, nurses are part of the decision process. Well, no, they really weren't. Right. Um, I mean, it is what it is, we've got it, but there's a lot of things that we really need to stand back and look at. For instance, this co-signing of insulin, I cannot tell you how many nurses wrote about that. It, it, it's difficult because the nurse, I want the nurses to be honest with me um, and, and not throw people under the bus because they're really trying to be very honest about how they practice and what they do. But the block charting is an excellent example of nurses speaking up and saying, hey, this isn't working. I'll give you another example that was horrible when it was happening, but when we first went live with barcoded insulin, um, this is a decade or two ago, the nurses would have to take a full bottle of insulin into the room to scan it. Mm -hmm. This might, might sound terrible, but the nurses were actually taking the insulin bottle over to the photocopy machine, photocopying the barcode. So they would pull up like six units of insulin and just take that little barcode with them. And I remember thinking, this is ingenious because the worst mistake now the nurse is going to make is six units. Yes. As opposed to 60 units if they carry the whole bottle in the room. Yes. And again, 10 or 15 years ago, I was talking about this little trick that nurses had come up with. And sure enough, I, and I was going to the big IT conferences like HIMSS and um, AMIA. And sure enough, the vendors came to me and they were like, hey. And so before you know it, they started having barcode printers in, in the nurses' workstations, printing off little insulin 
barcodes. And that honestly was something that nurses devised on their own as a patient safety workaround. So I know there's more of those out there. And, and that's the kind of stuff that we need to know what's going on to improve the system. Jennifer, this is so fascinating. And, and there's so many challenges related to this that we could talk about. But let right. me ask you almost as a, as a wrap up to this, as you look at all the challenges in nursing and healthcare right now, when you back up and take a look at the things you're learning, what is it that gives you hope as you look towards the future? Well, I have to tell you, I, I'm blessed to also be a nursing faculty member and just the enthusiasm, dedication, and commitment that this new generation of nurses has. I thought COVID would back people off and it hasn't at all. It's like, yeah, I want to jump in there. I want to be a I want to be a nurse. I really want to be a nurse. So that's fantastic. And I also, on the glimmer of new research, and it's not going to be me because I'm too old, but we're starting to see people looking at healthcare. It was actually Ruth Anderson from Duke University years ago that got me paying attention. But we're starting to look at healthcare not as a linear input, throughput, output, but as this complex system that it truly is, this complex adaptive system. And when you start to look at systems thinking, I think that's where we need to go next because so many things out of the nurse's control impact the nurse's job and their ability to give safe patient care. And what's happening in the ER absolutely is affecting what's going on with the with the nurse on the unit, but it may not be blatantly apparent. Um, I was telling one of the other people at AACN, when we went live with insulin bottles, rather than the nurses, because the nurse had to have it to scan it, they'd stick it in their pocket rather than go all the way back down and put it back in the refrigerator. And so all of a sudden we had this insulin shortage. Insulin bottles would, and the pharmacy was like, we've never, we're just, we're replacing insulin like it's going out of style. And it was just that nurses were putting it in their pocket rather than returning it. And hospitals were running out of insulin. So who would have ever equated barcode meds, medication administration with a low supply of insulin? So that, but that's what systems thinking and complex, and there's, there's, um, Businesses that actually use modeling like this, that 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 old um, business model about the beer truck and the beer delivery and how do you know how much beer to deliver in two weeks time based on. So there's there's business models that use systems like that. And I would love to see something like that adapted for nursing. If a, a nursing assistant calls in sick on telemetry, and people start getting pulled all over the hospital, how does that impact the ER? How does that impact the ICU? How does that impact the dialysis unit today? And it will, we just don't see it. We don't understand it yet. Yeah. Yet. And yeah. that's where I think we, one of the places I would love to see this research go, and 
I started to go there. I did some of that modeling in my dissertation, and it was really interesting what, what came out of it. But I'm not an expert in it. And I would I would just love to get with in an interdisciplinary approach to this, try to work in that arena, because I think there's so much we can learn so quickly. I totally agree. And I want to tell you that in this last half hour or so, Dr. Jennifer Brown, there is so much I have learned just in talking to you. You know, you are a passionate nurse's nurse, and you happen to be a nurse's research nurse. Thank goodness now you're faculty members. You've educated me uh, about things I didn't know about workload and technology and that impact on patient safety as opposed to turbulence and its major impact on patient safety. You've talked about things that nurse leaders can do to mitigate these challenges as well as actual direct care nurses can get involved right now because this concept of turbulence, you've taught me, is so familiar to all of us. Anybody who's ever spent two days in an ICU knows what you're talking about when you describe turbulence and its connection to patient safety and the fact that we can do something about it. So uh, I could go on and on. There's actually a score we can use around turbulence. There's so much that people can get from your research and that of others. So Jennifer, just thank you so much for uh, A, sharing your passion and B, bringing it to the level that it's just so gettable, it's so understandable for anyone who's listening. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Very, very much. Thank you to AACN as well. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN's Value Program, with information available at aacn.org forward slash value. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.